Great, thank you so much um, for reading, Gareth. Um, as Gareth said, this is, we're going to deal with some difficult issues this morning that are presented to us in this account. Um, so let me pray. Let me pray before we, we get going. Heavenly Father, we pray for your grace. We pray for your kindness and compassion towards us this morning. For those who feel particularly affected by what we are looking at, we pray that they would know your presence, your kindness, your love, uh, even more so than perhaps normally. Please, may we have ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Blaise Pascal uh, was a French kind of philosopher and mathematician in the 17th century. He was a great observer of, of humanity. And at one point, as he's reflecting on human beings, he, he wrote this, What sort of freak then is man, the glory and garbage of the universe? What sort of freak is man, both the glory and the garbage of the universe? Now, as I say, our time this morning is going to be difficult because we're going to see what Pascal meant when he said that humanity was the garbage of the universe. And what we're going to see is that there is garbage everywhere in this, this chapter. In fact, there's only one person, I think, who comes out of this innocent, and that is Dinah, the victim. Now, look, we, we won't be able to say everything that perhaps we'd want to say on, on issues that we're thinking about this morning. And, um, I, and I know, as I say, some of you will feel these things particularly raw, um, and they may reflect some of your own experiences. And I just want to stress, please, do talk to someone afterwards. Do come and find someone to pray with. I, I spoke to Amanda, who does children and youth work, but she's had so much experience in, experience counselling other people, and she's very happy. If you would like to talk to someone this morning, um, and not me or someone else who's been at the front, then Amanda is very happy as well. So, so do take her up on that if you need to. But let's think about um, the, the situation, the thing that happened, the victims of human evil, the victims of human evil. So if you know where we're up to in the story, Jacob has arrived back to Canaan. This is the land that God had promised Jacob, that he and his descendants could dwell in it. But as Jacob returns to the land, he discovers that it's not an empty land. There are already people living in this land. It is occupied. And that creates problems, verse 1. Now Dinah, the daughter Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. So Dinah is Jacob and Leah's daughter. She is young at this point. In verse 4, we're told that she's a girl, a child, so, so maybe 15 or 16, that kind of age. She is young and she is vulnerable. And a local prince, Shechem, who has power and position and opportunity, spots Dinah, verse 2. When Shechem, son of Hamor the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and raped her. It's hard to read, isn't it? It describes not just humanity at their worst, it describes men at their worst, doesn't it? The opposite of what God calls men to be. The Lord calls men to use their power and their position to protect and to provide for those around them. Shechem uses his power and position to forcibly take what his lustful heart wants. 
And what's very interesting is that Shechem's act is described so starkly. In the original, it's just three words. He sees, he takes, he rapes. And I think that starkness is deliberate. The Lord who inspired this passage as he inspired the whole Bible, he does not soften Shechem's act. He doesn't cushion it in any way. Instead, we're forced to look at what Shechem did and see it for what it is, evil. A while back, I tried to read Philip Dick's novel, The Man in the High Castle. Sets out this alternative reality in which Germany win the Second World War. Now, I found the book pretty heavy going. Uh, So wonderfully, Amazon turned it into a TV series, which I was able to watch. Now, at one point, the German Fuhrer, the the leader, dies. And all these officials in a room are, are gathered to discuss who should take over. And every name they put forward is more evil than the last. Deliberately so. They want someone who is going to terrorize the nation. But at one point, one of those in the meeting can take it no longer. He runs out and he says these words that are on the screen. There is evil. It is actual, like cement. I can't believe it. I can't stand in it. Evil it is not a view. It's an ingredient in us, in the world, poured over us, filtering over our bodies, our minds, our hearts, into the very pavement itself. I think it's a brilliant description of evil. Evil is actual, like cement. It is real. It is tangible. That's what we're seeing here. He saw. He took. He raped. We can't turn away from it. We can't pretend it's not there. Evil is real. It's in Shechem's heart. And even more terrifying, it is in our hearts as well. You know, in the the church and and in culture as a whole, we, we do sometimes shy away from being this explicit, don't we? In the church, we... We tend not to talk about people being sinners or or people being evil. We we talk much more about people being broken. That's true to a point. But that downplays what human beings are capable of. Downplays what I am capable of. Evil is real. It is like cement. It is an ingredient in each of us. That is what we are seeing here. Dinah is violated. She is humiliated. She's taken advantage of. She is dehumanized. This is evil. You know, if there's something that perhaps needs to come out of looking at Genesis 34 this morning, it's, it's this. Call the darkness, the brokenness in our hearts what it is. Call it evil. Call it wickedness. And when you confess your sin to God, don't play it down. Don't make excuses. Be clear. Lord, what I said today, what I did, what I thought, it was wicked. Have mercy on me, a sinner. You need to be able to call evil, evil. That is how starkly it is put to us. Dinah is the victim of human evil. So how do you respond to this? How do you react to this kind of injustice? Okay, secondly, underreaction leaves the victim without justice. Underreaction leaves the victim without justice. 
So Jacob hears about what has happened to Dinah. And look at his reaction in verse 5. When Jacob heard that his daughter Dinah had been defiled, his sons were in the fields with his livestock, so he did nothing. He did nothing about it until they came home. It is a completely underwhelming response. He did nothing. He, he didn't even send word to his sons. The, the way it's translated in here doesn't quite convey that. His sons don't come back because they heard word. When they come back, that is when they hear about what has happened to Dinah. Dinah has been defiled, shamed, humiliated, and Jacob does nothing. He doesn't even say anything. And the writer wants us to feel how shocking this is, how wrong this non-reaction is, because he keeps telling us who Dinah is. Verse 1, she's Jacob's daughter. By the end of verse 1, we know who Dinah is. She is Jacob's daughter, but the writer keeps hammering the point. Verse 3, Dinah, daughter of Jacob. Verse 5, Jacob's daughter, Dinah. Verse 7, Jacob's daughter. You get it again in verse 11 and verse 19. Jacob, she's your daughter, How can you say nothing? How can you be so indifferent? Because he's afraid. Because he wants to fit in. See, after humiliating and violating Dinah, Shechem and his father try to smooth things over. And as they negotiate with Jacob and his sons, the one thing they keep coming back to is this idea of peace between us. Jacob's family and the Shechemites, we can be one people. Verse 9, Hamor, Shechem's father, says to Jacob, intermarry with us, give us your daughters, take our daughters for yourselves. You can settle among us, the land is open to you, live in it, trade in it, and acquire property in it. Hamor says this marriage between Shechem and Dinah would be advantageous to all of us. We can dwell together, we can be at peace together, we can be prosperous together. Get the same idea in verse 16. You get it again in verse 21. These men are friendly towards us or they are at peace towards us. Let them live in our land and trade in it. We can marry their daughters and they can marry ours. Hamor is offering peace to Jacob. He's saying to Jacob, we can become one people. We can prosper together. We can be at peace. And that is what Jacob wants. You know, right at the end of this account, after his sons have pillaged the city of Shechem, Jacob is cross. We finally get a reaction from Jacob. He is cross, he is angry, but it's not because Dinah has been assaulted. And it's not because his sons have gone too far in what they have done. No, he is angry because he is afraid that the peoples of the land will now attack him. He says, verse 30, You have brought trouble on me by making me obnoxious to the people living in this land. We are few in number, and if they join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. He doesn't care about Dinah. He doesn't care about what his sons have done. He cares about himself. What does Jacob fear? He fears being attacked by the peoples in this land. What does he want? Peace. But what is the price of peace? It is silence about what happened to Dinah. 
In all their negotiations, Hamor and Shechem never acknowledged the horrific thing that Shechem did to Dinah. They never apologized. They never even mention it. And because Jacob wants peace, he doesn't mention it either. Dinah's voice is silenced. Dinah's right for justice is ignored. She was dehumanized first by Shechem's assault. She was dehumanized second by her father's silence. Now, you read this, I read this, and I think, like, what in the world? You know, I'm the father of three daughters. You know, I'm a human being. How can you not react to this? How can you not feel some sense of demand for justice? How can Jacob be quiet about this? But it struck me, thinking more, that sometimes we're not that different. I don't think quite to this scale, but sometimes we're not that different. You see, Jacob wanted peace. He wanted to fit in with the people of the land, and so he kept quiet about their acts of wickedness and injustice. And as Christians in 21st century Britain, we feel that same pressure, don't we? We feel a pressure to keep quiet about our culture's injustices so that we can fit in and enjoy peace. Now, wonderfully, importantly, there are loads of issues where we stand shoulder to shoulder with the world around us. Loads of injustices and acts of evil that we should rightly join in with the world and condemn them. Racism, sexism, bigotry, violence against women. We should call that stuff out. Call it what it is. Say it's wicked and it is evil. Now, sometimes we, we get that side of things wrong as a church. There have been many examples in recent history of churches, even in kind of churches in our circles, that have kept quiet about scandals of abuse. They've cared more about their own reputation than they have about the victim. That must not happen. But further problems come for us when we need to speak out about injustices in the world that the world does not recognize as such. The people of Shechem didn't view the rape of Dinah as an injustice. They never apologized for it. And so in order to fit in, Jacob keeps quiet. And there are things in our culture that the Bible would say, that God would say, that Jesus would say, that is wrong, that is wicked, it is unjust. But the world disagrees. And so we feel the pressure to keep quiet. One example, the unborn are the most vulnerable, the most innocent in our society. The Bible recognizes their full humanity, and yet thousands upon thousands of them are killed each year in our country. We struggle to speak out against it, don't we? If it ever comes up in the office or with friends, what are we most likely to do? Keep quiet. We don't want to create conflict between ourselves and the world. And so like Dinah, the most vulnerable are given no voice. We underreact to injustices because we want peace. Let me give you a counterexample. Back in the 18th century, when the slave trade was at its height in this country, William Wilberforce, member of parliament, driven by a love for God, a recognition of the full humanity of every human being, did all he could to abolish the slave trade. At the time, the British economy depended on slaves, and as such, there was great opposition that he faced. 
One friend feared that he'd read in the newspaper one morning about the death, the murder of his friend William Wilberforce. Such was the opposition. The pressure to be silent was enormous, but he kept speaking. Here's uh, one of his, uh, a quote from uh, one of his speeches. So enormous, so dreadful did the trade, slave trade's wickedness appear that my own mind was completely made up for abolition. Let the consequences be what they would. Let the consequences be what they would. I, from this time, determined that I would never rest until I had effected its abolition. It's the right response, isn't it? Not to keep quiet, even if the world disagrees. So what issues are we keeping quiet over because we love peace more than justice? Underreaction leaves the victim without justice. But thirdly, overreaction leaves the offender without hope. Now we've seen the underreaction of Jacob. But there's another reaction to what happened to Dinah. A reaction that I think, rightly, we have a lot more sympathy with. When Dinah's brothers hear what's happened, they are outraged. Verse 7, as soon as they heard what had happened, Jacob's sons were shocked and furious. Just reading that after Jacob's reaction is a breath of fresh air, isn't it? At last. This is a reaction we can get behind. Fury at what has happened. And Jacob's sons come up with a plan to rescue Dinah and to bring her justice. But their plan goes too far. It's not just justice they want, it's revenge as well. So First, they trick the Shechemites. They, they say, verse 14, you know what, you can marry Dinah, but just do one thing. Have all your men circumcised. That was the sign that you belonged to the people of God. Have all your men circumcised, and then our daughters can marry your daughters. Shechem can marry Dinah. It's a trick. And so Shechem and Hamor, they head back to the men of the city, and they share this deal with them in verse 20. And it's a kind of a classic good news, bad news, good news approach to how they sell it. So Shechem starts with good news, verse 21. Men of Shechem, we can marry their daughters. And he ends with good news, verse 23. Men of Shechem, we will get all of their possessions. And tucked away in the middle is the bad news, verse 22. And you can imagine Shechem speaking kind of quietly and quickly at this point. Only one tinsy, tiny, weeny thing. We just all need to get circumcised. But we can get all of their possessions. And so Shechem persuades them. The men agree. They get themselves circumcised, and it is then that Dinah's brothers, Levi and Simeon, strike. Verse 25. Three days later, while all of them were still in pain from the circumcision, two of Jacob's sons, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male. They put Hamor and his son Shechem to the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. Now, after Levi and Simeon have finished with their first raid, the rest of the brothers turn up, and they take everything. Possessions, livestock, women, children. The trauma and terror inflicted upon Dinah is inflicted upon a whole city. They go too far. 
that this isn't justice, this is revenge. Maybe you're just thinking, well, does it matter? Does it really matter? They got what they deserved. Well, yes, because revenge can start a cycle of violence and terror that becomes impossible to stop. One individual seeks revenge against another, and before you know it, the whole family is involved, and before you know it, the whole community is involved, and even our whole country. Revenge will spiral downwards into an ever greater cesspit of destruction and violence. So yes, it does matter. But it matters as well, and I want to be careful how I say this, because an overreaction gives no hope to the offender. If an underreaction to an atrocious act leaves the victim without justice, then an overreaction leaves the offender without hope. You know, what makes this whole episode so difficult to read and and grapple with and murky is that Shechem, in verse 3, appears to fall in love with Dinah. It, It was lust that drove him to act with such evil, but that lust has turned to love. Now, you could question it, but the writer wants us to be really clear that it seems to be genuine. He's using exactly the same kind of phrase that he used to describe Jacob's own love for his wife. It's hard, isn't it? Really hard. And it seems that Shechem wants to make some kind of amends. He wants to marry Dinah. He wants to make the situation right. So he says, verse 11, I will give you whatever you ask. Make the price for the bride and the gift I am to bring as great as you like, and I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the young woman as my wife. I'll do whatever it takes, he's saying. You might think, well, it's going to take more than money, but here's the point. What do you do with Shechem? He's done something terrible, an act of incredible evil, but he wants to put it right. Maybe again, you just think, I don't care. This isn't about Shechem, it's, it's about Dinah, and to some extent, that is right. You notice who is given the last word in this account. It's Levi and Simeon. The writer doesn't approve of what Levi and Simeon did later. The Bible doesn't either, but he is sympathetic. He gives them the last word. Should he have treated our, daughter, our sister like a prostitute? But there is a legitimate question to throw back, isn't there? Should you have wiped out a whole city, killing all the men, capturing all the women and children? Should you have left the offenders without hope? Two big questions. How can there be justice for the victim? And how can there be hope for the offender? Massive questions, aren't they? Questions that every society grapple with and try and work their way through. I think we're pointed to an answer in this passage. It comes in verse 2. The word for rape in verse 2. It turns up a few more times in the Bible, in the Old Testament. It can mean humiliated or oppressed or afflicted. And it shows up in one very surprising place. In Isaiah 53, we're being told about God's Messiah, God's rescuer, and how he will rescue God's people. Listen to verse 4. You've got your sheets, you'll find it in there. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. It's the same word used to describe what happened to Dinah. As the story of the Bible unfolds, this verse we know is talking about Jesus Christ, the God-man. As Jesus died on the cross, he was afflicted and humiliated and oppressed. Do you see what that means? Like Dinah, Jesus knows what it is to be afflicted and grossly mistreated. The shame that Dinah experienced, Jesus experienced it as well. And that's a comfort, isn't it? See, throughout, I've been talking about justice for the victim. But the reality is they need more than justice. Dinah and all who like her have experienced affliction and humiliation. They don't only need justice, they need healing. And that healing can start when our God says to us in Jesus Christ, whatever it is that has made you feel violated, unwanted, unclean, afflicted, I know what that feels like. I have been afflicted as well. But more than that, Jesus didn't just experience shame. He covers our shame. Through Jesus' death, God secures a new identity for us. And he says to us, you now belong to me. You are my treasured possession. You are my son, my daughter. You are clothed in the pure, righteous, clean garments of my son, Jesus Christ. You see, it is no longer shame that defines us. With Jesus, it is honor, it is righteousness, it is glory. Jesus doesn't only give Dinah and us justice. He gives us healing as well. Come to Jesus and he says to us, I understand. Now let me cover you in glory and take away your shame. One survivor of abuse wrote about her experience of trusting in Jesus, and she said these words on the screen. The light dawned on me. God created me and knows me. He knows everything that happened to me, everything I've done, and all the dirtiness, filth, and shame I'd felt. He came down from his throne, took on flesh, and willingly went to the cross for me. I am not damaged goods. I am his daughter more precious than gold. Jesus brings healing to the afflicted and to the violated. He covers their shame with honor. But he also brings hope to the offender. You know, as the brothers uh, approached the city of Shechem, were told that they take out their swords and they pierce the men of the city. They kill them. Isaiah 53 goes on, verse 5. But Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Here is the hope for the offender. On the cross, Jesus is willingly pierced by the sword of God's judgment. That those who deserve to be pierced, those who deserve to face not only justice in this world, but justice in the next, 
Jesus says to them, I can take that for you. I will be pierced instead of you. That does not mean that the offender should not face justice now. Absolutely they should. But Jesus is saying, I can take your punishment so that you don't have to face that for eternity. Do you see? On the cross, Jesus says to the victim, I will take your affliction and shame and cover you with honor. And he says to the offender, I will take your judgment and be pierced instead of you. Here is the remarkable truth of the Christian gospel, the cross of Christ. Here is the answer to those questions. The victim can look to Jesus and hear him say, I know what you've been through. I've been violated. I've been afflicted as well. Now let me clothe you in righteousness and cover your shame. And the offender, the offender who trusts in Jesus and looks to Jesus will hear him say, you will be punished. But in me, I will face the sword of God's judgment in your place. There is healing for the victim and hope for the offender. There is justice for the victim and judgment for the offender, but that judgment is in Jesus. And so here is the Christian gospel that gives a better answer to human evil than Jacob's silence. And this is the Christian gospel that gives a better answer than Simeon and Levi's revenge. For those of us who trust in Christ, both victim and offender, they can stand at the foot of the cross and find healing and hope. And it's such good news. It's good news because it's right and it's brilliant, but it's good news because I know very often I am both, in smaller ways, both victim and offender. I need a saviour who can bring healing justice and hope to me and in jesus i've found that savior we we haven't been able to say everything we'd want to say on an issue like this but whether you're a christian or not whichever side you fall on in this story do you want to say that the beginning of the answer and the end of the answer is Jesus Christ and his death on our behalf. We're going to sing in a moment, oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. It is that love that brings hope and healing and justice. Moment of quiet, and I'm going to pray. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Heavenly Father, the kind of trauma that we have been thinking about this morning will undoubtedly, for some, take a lifetime to come to terms with. But we thank you that in the death of Jesus, 
we see the beginning of how that trauma can be healed. Pray for ourselves if that is the situation we're in. Pray for those that we know that we might gently, carefully, graciously, patiently help them find that healing in Christ. Lord, we pray that we would be honest with the wickedness and the evil that is still possible from our own hearts. May we call it out. May we call it out when we see it in the church and may we call it out when we see it in our own hearts. And may we even call it out when we see it in the world and yet the world doesn't agree. Help us to have the courage to do that. To love justice more than peace. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.